Looking for health info? This is Health News House Call, part of Hackensack Meridian Health's podcast. We're here to provide you with the tools and resources to make informed decisions about your health. Here, our expert providers will provide you with wellness tips, information, and general health advice. This is House Call. Today, we're here with Chief Physician Executive Daniel Varga to talk about updated boosters, the bivalent booster, why it's important, and just the status of COVID-19 right now. So Dr. Varga, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. As you know, COVID has changed a lot in the last couple of years, and it's just important to talk about why boosters are still relevant, why you should continue getting them. I know there's a lot of kind of fatigue out there of people saying, you know, I already got four boosters. Um, what would you say to someone who's in that position where they're just kind of tired? Yeah, it's, it's something that we're all dealing with right now. Um, you know, COVID fatigue is real. Uh, it's been around for, in, in our neighborhood up here in New Jersey, uh, since the first week of March 2020. So we're coming up on three years. Uh, and we've had varying degrees of intensity uh, of the virus here in our community. Uh, that first three months was wicked. Uh, it, uh, you know, it, had, it, it brought a, with it a pretty high toll uh, on the health system, the community at large. The, this is a very different COVID now. Uh, you know, for the most part, I think most uh, epidemiologists consider COVID to be endemic now. So it's here, which means it's just here. It's here all the time at low levels, um, et cetera. But, but I think one of the reasons that um, we still advocate for boosters is that this virus, uh, and it, other viruses do this as well, but this virus has shown a propensity to keep changing. And that's evidenced by, by the variants that we're seeing. And the, the new booster, which we call the bivalent booster, is one which includes um, a vaccine against the original strain of the virus, the one that started way back in March of 2020, which, which we call the alpha strain. But it also includes what at the time were the two most common Omicron variants, which were BA4 and BA5. So that's why it's called bivalent. It has two different uh, activities against two different viruses. The, um, and it's been effective. I mean, there's no question that, the, that when you take the vaccine, your antibodies to these things get boosted in your bloodstream. Uh, so it's an effective vaccine in terms of generating protection. The big question that I think everybody's debating right now is how critical is that protection for folks today now that, gosh, so many people have actually had COVID now, right? Some people have had COVID two, three, four times and had vaccines in between, et cetera. So is another booster really critical? And I think the answer to that question is we have to always remember that risk is a continuum, right? There's no absolute place in time where you step back and say, yeah, I have no risk right now. It's always a continuum. And right now it's clear that the booster is really an essential booster for the elderly. So we'd look at people over the age of 65, for people with chronic illness, like people with diabetes, congestive heart failure, COPD, and for people who have immunosuppression, people who are on drugs for their lupus or for their cancer, et cetera. All of those folks really should 
get straight to your doctor, straight to the pharmacy, straight to HMH hospital where we give out the vaccine to the community and get your booster. For others, you know, someone like yourself, young, healthy, you know, probably had COVID a couple times, et cetera. I'm you know, what they call those like super dodgers. <laughs> I have dodged it for years. So you're, thank you. congratulations <laughs> on being a dodger there. But no, the, I think the real value to you is going to be uh, a personal decision. And, uh, you know, are you likely, if you get COVID, to get hospitalization sick, get ICU sick, get ventilator sick? The answer is no, you're really not. If you get sick, might you be somebody who could spread that to somebody who is at risk? And the answer is, yeah, possibly. And so that's one of the reasons we still advocate the booster. I think what you hear from some folks out in the, in the community right now, uh, and even some you know, clinical experts, who I would not put in the category of anti-vaxxers. These are people who are really committed to vaccine, to public health, et cetera, is as they look at the risk benefit and realizing that the risk of this vaccine is very, very, very low. Uh, sore arms and a little bit of, you know, feeling bad for, you know, a day or so at most. The, the, they're, they're questioning whether the benefit, whether there's really enough juice in the squeeze uh, with this vaccine for particularly younger folks who've likely gotten vaccinated previously, likely had an episode or two of COVID, is it really going to help you? So that's that's really the debate that folks are having. But I would certainly argue that for folks that were in those three categories we already discussed, that those folks should absolutely get this bivalent vaccine. Definitely. So yeah, you, you already answered one of my questions, just that there are there are experts out there who are kind of sharing you know, mixed feedback saying like healthier individuals, you know, maybe they don't need it. But so what it sounds like is there's really no harm in getting the booster, even if you are young and healthy. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's one of the reasons that you see, you know, as as health systems, other big employers, other organizations across the across the country look at the vaccine, it's it, it's falling more into that optional sort of, you know, um, category kind of assess your own risk uh, as, a, as a citizen uh, and say, should I get it or should I not? Um, the, a little bit different than when we were back in the epidemic phase or the pandemic phase of COVID, when we were really trying desperately to just, you know, to control this virus so that, you know, in the first wave, to, so it wasn't killing people, and number two, in the second and third waves that we that we confronted, so we could actually keep, particularly in the healthcare world, keep uh, our healthcare providers who were the front lines of this disease healthy and at work, so they could take care of the community. A little bit different now. We're still, you know, I, you know, the state of New Jersey's got about a thousand people in the hospital every day have for about the last couple months not going up not going down to any significant degree so in reference though saying a thousand what was like our height max oh i mean so just within the hackensack meridian system in april of the end of april 2020 we had two over 2,000 patients in the hospital in the yeah. hmh system alone i think the state of new jersey was close to 7,000 people in the hospital wow. uh with you know probably at that time uh, 25 to 30 percent of the people were in ICUs, and probably 15 to 20 percent of the people were on ventilators. Put it in perspective, today about a thousand people in the hospital, 
about 4% on ventilators, about 10% in the ICU. So, you know, to be quite honest, right now we're more we're more stressed about the RSV virus and its effect on little kids and how it's impacting our pediatric hospitals uh, because it's so prevalent right now. Uh, and influenza, where New Jersey is one of the very high prevalent states for influenza as opposed to COVID, but it's still here. I mean, it's still here. Yeah. It's still putting people in the hospital. It's still putting people in ICUs. And unfortunately, it's still it's still creating mortality. Right. So we talked a little bit like looking back at the state of COVID and just how intense it was. Do you have any predictions on where we're headed in 2023? That's a really good question. Um, I think there's probably two big uh, issues that are going to be at play here. Number one is will we've already seen, for example, just since the vac the new bivalent vaccine came out, it was uh, it's it's a it's additional capability was that worked against Omicron BA four BA five. We now have BA, we we now have the new variant of of Omicron, which again, just like the previous vaccine, you get some protection by having this vaccine on board with you. Uh, but it's not a it's not 100% vaccine now because you've got a brand new uh, sort of uh, virus out there. And the new BAQ is really, um, I think I'm calling it right, but it's the newest variant is actually now uh, over 50% of the cases in New Jersey. So it's just become variant chasing right now. It's, it's, so we're yeah. very you're exactly right. We're variant chasing to a certain extent. Um, it's moving a little faster, for example, than the flu does. Uh, you know, we, we usually get the opportunity to say, look back and say, what were the strains of influenza we saw in 2021? And then we can build the 2022 flu shot around that. We can look back and say, what did we see through 21-22 for flu? How do we build the 22-23 flu shot? These have just been changing so fast, you can't really keep keep up in terms of having a new vaccine that's got all the variants covered. So you do the best you can with it. So the real question will be, will new variants emerge that are more severe? We wouldn't expect that because the, the variants since Omicron have all been relatively lower virulence, lower severity uh, in terms of that. I think the other piece will really be uh, built around, and, and this is here I'm really talking about impact on the health systems, uh, is how severe will the tridemic be, which is what people are calling it, mm -hmm. is RSV, influenza, and COVID uh, are having a big impact. You add all three of them together, and you know the strains on ICUs, the strains on hospital bed capacity, the strains on healthcare workers sick and out of work, yeah. uh, frontline you know, uh, workers in like uh, law enforcement and critical community services. Th that the tride tridemic is something that we're probably watching as closely as we are, you know, worrying about, you know, this week's new emergent uh, variant. But, you know, we, we expect there's gonna be another variant um, just simply because this bug has shown that it keeps producing them. But those are the two things. New variant with far more severity uh, would be a great worry. And this, uh, and really kind of trying to understand just how severe this uh, tridemic is gonna be right now. Yeah. We're just one hit after the next. Absolutely. Um, but you, you sparked a question for me. You mentioned that even when COVID changes to a new variant, you have some degree of protection from the vaccine 
that targeted, you know, the last chapters variant. Mm -hmm. Can you explain how that works? Yeah. So the, you know, there are elements, uh, there are elements of the virus that are pretty consistent over time. Uh, and I won't go into all the details, but it's just the way the virus is made. And so some of those elements are uh, consistent uh, through all of it. It's what makes it COVID. Uh, whether you're talking about the alpha, the delta, the Omicron, or the subvariants of the Omicron virus. So there are still things that make it COVID. Um, what happens is there are escape, what they call escape proteins, that evolve that make it um, different enough that either your natural immunity, let's say you were infected, uh, and it's been a strange, it's been a strange um, fall for us because we had the bivalent vaccine come out we had a lot of BA4, BA5, and now we got the new variants. So I've, we, I've actually encountered folks who were sick with COVID back uh, July, August, got the booster when it first became available, and then got infected with the new variant. So they've had three experiences with yeah. COVID in the last 90 to 120 days, um, which isn't unusual, and it doesn't say the vaccine is a bad vaccine and doesn't work. Uh, none of those people had severe illness. They were, you know, they felt awful for a couple, two or three days, and they were back at work on day five, and off they went. But, but that's the the nature of these of the variants uh, still having some uh, being affected to some degree by either your previous natural immunity or by the previous vaccine, which isn't necessarily directed against them. Is that the virus is still similar enough? that you get that protection, you still can catch the virus, you just don't get real sick with the virus is the real difference. Interesting, okay. Yeah, I was equating in my mind, I'm like, okay, so the virus is kind of like, it's on a wanted sign, and the bouncer says, I recognize you, even though you have sunglasses on, you can't come in. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's kind of like, well, you know, the, the uh, COVID's a golden retriever, and there are some that have got beautiful white coats, and some that are a little more yellow, and some that are a little <laughs> more orange. Golden's into this. They're beautiful and pure. <laughs> but it's the same sort of thing. But they're still a golden retriever, right? Yeah. All three of them are golden right. retrievers. They're just different enough that they're different. Uh, but they still meet the class. And that's why we get some of this cross protection from previous exposure uh, and an immune response or a vaccine and an immune response. Right. So a couple more questions now. So the bivalent booster is targeting the old strain, the BA4 and BA5. Mm -hmm. That's is correct. Is there any, can there be like a trivalent vaccine that then takes in another variant? Like how many, how many can we squeeze into one? Oh, you can put a lot of things in a vaccine. I mean, that's, that's what we tend to do with the flu, flu vaccine. And I, I have to tell you, I'm not sure exactly what's in the flu vaccine this year. But since we look back and say, what are the different types, you know, H1N1, you know, blah, 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 blah. Uh, what was most commonly found when we, when we uh, investigated people who had the flu last year, and then we build the vaccine for the next year. The thing is, is that the flu hasn't been mutating and creating variants like every 90 days. Uh, it's, been, it's tended to pop a new one in every few years, and then we have to go back and, and uh, revamp the vaccine. But yeah, once we understand, hoping that this virus ultimately gets to a relatively stable situation, we can actually look at COVID across the country and go, all right, BA4, how much? BA5, how much? BQ, how much? And then any new variant that pops up. You know, and so I think there's there's that um, 
we'll, I think we can build vaccines. The problem with this is the time it takes to manufacture a vaccine, test a vaccine on people, we've popped a new variant in that yeah. interval. So that's the, that's the dilemma with COVID. It's just moved a little too fast for us. But we can ultimately build one that against all of the strains of COVID if we need to. Do you think that's what will do? Is that the path you think it's going to take, that there's just going to continually be new boosters? I think we'll have to see how the virus ultimately behaves. Uh, you know, the, the virus right now, it keeps changing, so it's really hard to predict what you'd have actually build into a forward-looking vaccine program, but we'll have to see. Right. But we certainly can do it. Yeah. So since it continues changing, um, I think I know the answer, but is there just unlimited times you can get COVID if it continues to change? Mm -hmm. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. The when you think of vaccinations, the uh, some of the um, some of the vaccines that are very common, like the pneumonia vaccine. The pneumonia vaccine is is a what known is what's known as a multivalent or a polyvalent vaccine, which means it's got dozens. Uh, protection against dozens of different subtypes of a very common pneumonia bacteria. So you can put, you can squeeze as many uh, of these things as you need to, uh, and that that's you know again that's a vaccine that's been updated maybe every five, 10, 15 years because it's a it's a very stable uh, bug that you're dealing with. When you've got a very rapidly changing bug, it's just you know it's going to keep being there, but to the point we were talking about earlier, the fact that you've had previous exposure um, and and or vaccine usually has meant that the severity of illness uh, has been much, much less. Um, but then that all depends on the variant. I mean, fortunately, we haven't seen anything that looks like, you know, of late, that looks like the alpha and delta uh, surges that we had, which were quite severe and ended up with a lot of hospitalization, et cetera. That's good. So I guess we're kind of trending in the right direction. It's less uh, intense, but still spreading like crazy. Still there. I mean, yeah. you know, we're probably doing still, oh, you know, the state of New Jersey, when you look at the transmission rate of COVID, there's only one county in all of New Jersey that's not high. Uh, what county is that? I think it's Salem County as <laughs> Which of last week. Should we all week. go? Or? <laughs> no, it's just barely under, uh, just barely broke into the moderate What's range. What's their secret? But uh, but yeah, so the uh, but you know so we still we still actually meet the criteria, and that means you have more than a hundred cases per hundred thousand population. So all of our counties at a transmission rate uh, are still red, except for one uh, in all of New Jersey, and you know New Jersey's still seeing somewhere around. A thousand to fifteen hundred cases a day, new, and that's that's probably an underestimate because right. now with the the simple antigen test, a lot of people go, I feel ucky. I go to the uh, mm -hmm. to the drugstore, I get a COVID test, I test, I'm positive. They're not going in and getting PCR tests, et cetera. They're just calling their employer and going, tested positive for COVID. I'll be home and show back up in seven days. Right. right? Yeah, just a different state. So, kind of leading into the holiday season, how do you? feel COVID's going to play into this? Are we kind of as worried as we were in those past couple years? I just remember it being like, you know, if you don't gather or if you are gathering, like everyone get tested, like, do you still recommend that? You know, I think the, the current recommendations are not that. I mean, I think that we still, uh, where COVID is still high, where there's still a lot of COVID, 
I would still advocate that you should be up to date in your vaccination program. Um, if you are a high risk individual, you should consider, you know, again, risk is a continuum. You should, you, you should consider masking in crowded indoor areas. I mean, remember, we, we always talk about this risk continuum. Mm -hmm. Outside's lower risk than indoors. Very few people's lower risk than lots of people. Uh, if you're in crowded situations where in a county or a state where COVID is high, wearing a mask is safer than not wearing a mask. But those are really, I think, individual decisions. We're right now, you know, seeing what we would call endemic COVID. It's here. It's going to be here for the foreseeable future. And uh, but the good news is, is that very few folks are getting severe illness. Again, I would really, you know, I've got a 90, almost 91 year old dad. Uh, who, when we get together for the holidays, you know, I, I told him, I said, have you had your vaccines? He goes, I've had all the, he's an ex-doc, he's a retired physician. I've had all my vaccines. I'm great. I'm going to, I'm going to show up at where, whatever party I want to show up at. But uh, 91, that's the attitude you have to have. <laughs> it is. It really is. So, you know, but that'll be his personal decision. If he mm -hmm. told us, kids, I'm going to, you know, I can't come to a place where 35 people are going to sit around for, you know, eight hours and open presents and eat dinner and everything else. I, we'd go completely understand that. Yeah. So I'm going to backtrack back to the tridemic. Mm -hmm. um, basically, are, are the the conditions to protect yourself kind of the same as COVID, like mm -hmm. vaccination, hand washing, all that kind of stuff? Like, what would you... I guess, what would you recommend for parents, especially with like the RSV factor? Mm -hmm. uh, get your COVID vaccination. I mean, here I'm talking to the parent. Get mm -hmm. your COVID vaccination. Get your flu shot. Um, and if your child's of an age to, that's appropriate to get the flu shot, have your kid get the flu shot. We're seeing a lot of flu, uh, just a ton of it. You know, there's an argument in the marketplace right now that one of the reasons we're having so much RSV right now is that for the last three years, we've all been staying at home, wearing masks, you know, et cetera. And we just, just haven't seen a lot of viral infectious disease over the last couple of years. We had very mild, very mild influenza in 2020, a pretty normal influenza for 2021. 2022, we're already seeing a lot of very high activity on influenza. There's an argument that RSV's, you know, impact right now is in large part because nobody's been infected with it for a couple of years. Mm. Now, there's debate about that, but we do know that when, you know, when you're, we always talk about kids are the petri dishes of the world, right? Yeah. You can go to daycare and they all get a little sniffle and they're cranky for a day or two, and then, you know, they come home and infect mom and dad who are in bed for a day or two, yeah. right? So it's something like that. But but that's because kids are seeing these these common viruses all the time, right? So, you know, in terms of prevention, um, I, I don't know that there's anything new to do right now. It's hand washing, hand washing, hand washing is, is, is critical. If you're sick, stay home. Uh, you know, just the basics of uh, of health hygiene i think are, are key get plenty of sleep eat well exercise get outside the house a little bit i think all of those are things that i would urge uh everybody to do um but you know we'll get through the tridemic um the you know the good news is is that for kids who you know and i've had uh, a little a little grandson who got sick and they you know while they're getting more severely ill than they normally do uh, they're still out in, you know, 18 hours, 24 hours, you know, 
two days mm-hmm. and they're back home, you know, running crazy. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's still RSV, you know, it's still influenza, but get your flu shot, get your COVID shot and just practice, you know, good infection prevention. I'm, I'm pivoting a little bit from COVID to RSV, but I'm going to ask anyways, are the numbers, so you said it's just debatable on whether there's more because there was less infection, like looking at a number from like, let's say like 2017 to now, like the RSV are, they're remarkably higher. This is a, it's a big, it's a big surge in RSV cases right now. Yeah. I mean, and part of the reason is a lot of kids who get RSV never show up at a doctor's. They just stay at home with mom and dad Mm -hmm. and, you know, they nurse them through a 24, 48 hour stretch of feeling cruddy and then everything's fine. Right. Yeah. Um, this is one where kids are getting sick enough to come to EDs and come to hospitals. Uh, so we're, we're clearly seeing more RS. There's no question about it. Is it more severe? It seems to be. I mean, yeah. it, and, and the question is, is that something inherently different in the virus or is it just, we, we haven't seen RSV in any substantial amount in the last two years. And I'm not, I'm not an epidemiologist or an infectious disease specialist, so I can't really weigh in. But that, those are the, it's clear we're seeing a big surge in RSV this year. Yeah. There's still some misinformation out there. People, you know, we gather on Facebook and somebody thinks they're a doctor and they're sharing mm-hmm. information. Um, it's something that we've kind of seen just people talking about saying that, oh, you know, only the people who are hospitalized in hospitals are people who've been vaccinated. It's something that I've seen a lot of people saying and chiming into. What would be your response? Is there any truth to that? Uh, I think it's absolutely true, but it's it's not. it doesn't imply it's, what people okay, are saying. Right. It's because so darn many people have been vaccinated. Mm-hmm. And so, but, you know, if you got the original vaccine uh, and then got your booster, uh, you're getting boosted against one strain of, of, the, of the bug. And mm. if you happen to have underlying medical illness or be elderly uh, or be immunocompromised and you got the newest strain that wasn't covered by this, you can be sick enough to be in the hospital. But it's, yeah. a, it's a little bit of a false equivalence, right? Mm-hmm. Because the number of people who are completely unvaxxed and who have never been infected with COVID, those two things, that's a dwindling number of people mm-hmm. in the United States. So yeah, of course, the majority of people who are in the hospital right now are vaccinated because the majority of people in America are vaccinated. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that's just a misunderstanding. It's saying, oh, like people are equating you're getting vaccinated and that's why you're in the hospital. But no, it's just that the virus has continued to change and so many people mm-hmm. have been vaccinated. Absolutely. So that's why. Yeah, Absolutely. We need to just copy and paste that and like respond and say, hey, guys, <laughs> this is just wrong. It um, is. But that, you know, that that misinformation piece, um, you know, it's, it's still lingering. I mean, right. I mean, uh, this goes back to the earliest days of saying we you know, there was a there was an argument out there that said we should not shut things down. We should not lock down. Just let everybody get it. Do the best you can to protect the elderly and the vulnerable. And, you know, then we'll be done with COVID a lot quicker. Well, th- there's probably a, a, a grain of truth in, in that proposition. What it doesn't acknowledge is two big things. One, we overwhelm the health system. Yeah. Meaning the people who are having heart attacks and everything else coming into the hospital um, can't get care because we've turned into a COVID ward, mm-hmm. right? So we've got issue, that's issue one. Issue two is a lot of people died 
you know, the, the mortality rate was low uh, relative to, you know, for example, SARS-1, which had a much higher mortality rate, or Ebola, which has a really high mortality rate. Um, but hundreds of thousands of people in that first wave died. And there's no denying that. So, you know, the you, you have to look at with the, did we, did we make a lot of decisions early on that now people are set, you know, with their 2020 hindsight right. saying, what, what did those idiots do? I would just argue we would have completely overwhelmed the healthcare system if we hadn't done what we did. And was there a cost to doing it? Yeah. But there's a, but it's a risk benefit consider, consideration every time you look at those things. So I think that was that kind of misinformation and, you know, Monday, one, Monday morning quarterbacking is, is really not helpful to us. I think the other thing is that, I, that you see a lot in the media right now is this, people died from COVID or people died with COVID. And I, again, mm. I think that's a false equivalent. There's very few yeah. asymptomatic COVID patients who popped into the hospital and died of something else. What was happening most of the time is you had a vulnerable individual with COPD or whatever it happened to be who was frail and then they got COVID and they had a heart attack. Well, the reason they had a heart attack was because they got COVID. The reason they died of respiratory failure from their COPD was because they got COVID. And so there, it, that's a false equivalence to say, to make this bright line between died from or died with. I mean, there are very, very few people who are like you, who are you know young, healthy, perfectly fine, who broke their leg. Oh, and by the way, we found out they had COVID and they died. And you say, well, it's probably the broken leg. I mean, that's not yeah. the case. It's a very false equivalent. So those two, two things, I think, are the misinformations that we're struggling with because it, it potentially impacts the next big decision we have to make in public health is someone will look back and go, you misquoted the mortality figures, you misquoted the, you know, the impact of lockdown, et cetera. You know, at the end of the day, as I said, I think they're false equivalences, and I think that that information is stuff, something that we just have to keep the message. I think it's a message, the message that we didn't hit hard enough uh, in 2020 and early 2021 is we're doing this so we don't overwhelm the healthcare system because we have to take care of everything else America needs to have taken care of. Yeah. And if all we are is a COVID ward, which is what HMH was. Yeah. I mean, Hackensack Meridian Health was in essence a COVID treatment health system from March of 2020 to June of 2020. Didn't do any elective surgeries, didn't do anything but take care of COVID patients. For goodness sakes, we, we had COVID patients uh, on high flow oxygen in the cafeteria right. at Hackensack University Medical Center. So, I mean, that's all we could do. And if, if, let's just say we'd had double the amount of COVID patients because we didn't lock down and we didn't isolate and we didn't have mask mandates, then we would have been doing that for another six months. Right. So, but that's the misinformation that we got hit with. Yeah. And it's always easier to look back and throw oh, some sure. shade and judgment <laughs> when, you know, oh, we know so much now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, people are always gonna do that. Um, I guess just looking into like the new year, um, kind of a fresh start, I guess, what would be your, your general advice to people about protection from COVID, from all these illnesses? Just how do we step forward yeah. on a good note? Uh, you know, again, I think it's what we talked about at the very beginning of our chat, which is 
if you're in a high-risk group particularly, keep up to date on your vaccines. I mean, shots in arms have saved lives. There's no question about it. And I would urge particularly, uh, you know, the elderly, people with chronic illness, people who are immunosuppressed, uh, parents caring for a vulnerable person at home, a child at home, uh, et cetera, I would, I would strongly recommend the vaccine. Get your flu shot. I think that's important. Flu season's upon us, but it's not too late to get the flu shot. And then practice, you know, be smart. I know we've got, um, we've got some COVID fatigue, as we discussed, but don't lose your common sense around this. Um, you know, if you're sick, stay home. If you have to go out while you're feeling bad, wear a mask. Um, you know, just wash your hands a lot. Uh, the same sort of thing we would tell you every year. Thank you so much, Dr. Varga. Such great information today. And hopefully, like I said, we start 2023 healthy and fresh. Absolutely. Let's do that. Great. Thank you. Thank you. The material provided through this podcast is intended to be used as general information only and should not replace the advice of your physician. Always consult your physician for individual care.